the Lucky Let Court Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express and a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chris Otto. Happy to be with you on Friday, November 19th. As the tennis season winds down in 2021, we're here to talk about the WTA Finals, which were an immense success. They just completed on Wednesday evening in Guadalajara with Garbina Muguruza winning the title, her 10th career title, her biggest since 2017. It was an amazing event in Mexico, the first time this event was ever held in Latin America. Muguruza rose to the occasion, but six debutantes in the field, and everybody played a role in making it a very special event. We're going to talk about that with Richard Pagliaro, who'll be my guest in a few moments. Other topics we're going to discuss today, of course, is the situation that is currently developing with China's Peng Shuai. Shuai, of course, on November 2nd, took to social media to accuse a high-ranking Chinese government official of sexual assault. Since then, things have spiraled to where we are actually looking at the WTA contemplating pulling out of China. Of course, 10 events scheduled for 2022 on the WTA tour in China. A lot going on and a lot to talk about with that. That's why we're going to open our discussion, but then we're going to get into the WTA finals, which were an absolutely fantastic event. So stick with us. We're going to finish on a high note, and we're going to be back in a few days to talk about the ATP finals. Um, So lots of exciting stuff to talk about. And who better to do that with than... Tennis Now editor and good friend of mine, Richard Pagliaro. See you guys on the other side. Richard Pagliaro, big pleasure to speak with you today. We're going to talk some WTA finals and a few other things. How are you? I'm doing great, Chris. Thanks for having me. It's great. Great week in tennis. Great week. Really excited. Man, yeah, it's heated up. I mean, we've been kind of dueling back and forth with the ATP finals and the WTA finals. Now, finally, we're clear of the women. We can focus in on the men. But today, we're going to speak solely about the women. We're going to recap what we saw in Guadalajara, which was a lot of amazing tennis, a lot of surprisingly good tennis and some storylines developing. But let's start, actually, with a brief update on what's been going on with Peng Shui. Of course, we know it's been a really pretty um, surprising and crazy situation since November 2nd when Peng Shui went public on social media accusing a high-ranking Chinese official of sexual assault. And since then, things have kind of spiraled into a really dangerous position for the WTA. And and we're still sort of searching for Peng Shui as well. So we've seen a lot of um, hit back from the WTA and a lot of strength from Steve Simon, the WTA CEO. What are you making of things, Richard, overall in this situation? And where do you think we stand now? And possibly where do you think this is going to go? Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy story and just a horrific and, and heartbreaking story for, for Peng Shui and also her family and friends and just everyone who loves tennis because you remember, I mean, she's number one in the world. She's a known player. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a story on a few different levels. It's the human element. You just want her to be safe and healthy and yes. sound and be able to speak and share her story. But also, you know, there's a political element as well. And also, you know, the, it's a big business decision. That's why I give Steve Simon a really huge amount of respect and credit that he's he and the whole WTA, in my view, they've really tried to tackle this head on and you know, demand an investigation, and he's been on CNN last night, also in the New York Times, he's been up front about saying he will not hesitate to pull to pull the tournaments from China if if if, 
you know, if, if, if we can't see her safely, if there's not an investigation here, and that takes a huge amount of guts to do that because the China-Asian swing, especially the year-end WTA finals, which is so massively important to the financial structure of the WTA. So I give them just huge respect that they're willing to step up and do the right thing. And as we've all seen in this day and age, it's hard to do the right thing in life now because when you're a truth teller or a whistleblower, you know, people come to bury you. So I just give them a lot of credit, and, I, and, I, and I've been encouraged to see the champions like Serena, like Andy Murray, like Chrissy Everett, Martina, Billie Jean, on and on. Everyone stand in solidarity and come together. And let's do the right thing. And, I mean, we live in a very divided time, but this is about humanity. It's about someone's life. This is, she's a person, not a pawn, and, and, uh, and, and I hope that they can push, and, and I would like to see the ATP join as well if, if it gets to that point hopefully it doesn't hopefully we we learn that she's safe and sound and, and we hear from her more importantly and see her but uh i give the i give them so much credit because if you remember a few years ago the, the nba went through something not as extreme as this but with china and they kind of caved and they the wta did. has not yeah they have not caved. they've stood strong and 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 that's good leadership but also the solidarity from the players the current players the former players the champ they've all come together and and it's and that's the one silver lining, I guess you could say, that I, I believe they've handled it about as well as you could, given mm-hmm. the, these are horrific circumstances. Yeah, because hey, look, tennis is one big family, right? This is this is a uh, uh, is, is Chinese, but she's a tennis player and she's a WTA tennis player, and that's where I feel the strength of the WTA family coming through right now, where everybody's rallying and everybody's just taking this personally because it could be somebody else. It could be somebody from Croatia, somebody from Italy, somebody from the United States, and they just want to see this be be handled in a way that's safe for her, first of all, and that's the thing you have to worry about the most because as all this backlash heats up and all this uh, fury on the internet with the where is Peng Shui hashtag, you just worry about the safety of her family and her close, the people that are close to her and how is the Chinese government handling this because Peng Shui isn't re- reaching out and saying anything any anymore. She's been, I guess, silenced, which is really what this is all about. But, but, but the uproar that we're seeing everywhere else is probably making China very uncomfortable. So it's, a, it's definitely a dicey situation. And I think first you have to worry about the health and safety of Peng Shui and of her family. And then second, you have to worry about, of course, the long-term implications and the freedom of the people on the tour to say what they want and to have justice. But it, yeah, it is it is just crazy. And I think you mentioned that the ATP. ATP has just about as, as much of an investment in China, maybe not as heavy as the WTA, but it seems like it would be strange if the WTA pulls their business and the ATP doesn't. So there's a lot of things to look at in terms of what the ATP might, how they might have to react to this situation as well. And, and if they really have the solidarity with the WTA tour, which they like to lead us to believe they do, then they might have to get, uh, maybe we might have to see a little bit more support from them as an organization. I don't know. It's a, it's a tough situation. Definitely just hopefully Peng Shui will at some point get some justice and, and be able to get what she needs out of this and be safe and, you know, have it maybe have some. I don't know what what happens. What 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 is the best case scenario? Let's forget about the tour. What's the best case scenario for Peng Shui, in your opinion? 
I think that the public pressure from the players and the tours, I think that's the best way to, to try to bring this to the surface and bring her back to the forefront and be able to see her. And that, that's why I think it's so important for the for the champions to speak out. If you saw Steve Simon on CNN last night when Aaron Burnett was interviewing him, she said, right now, as we're, as we're talking about this, CNN goes black in China because they just black out anything. It's, you know, her, she's basically been scrubbed from their internet and, you know, they just censor the news so much that maybe people there don't even realize the full extent of it. So that's why I think the external, you know, pe- people willing to stand up and speak out, like Steve Simon, like the players, like the two, it, it's really, really important, especially with the, you know, Beijing Olympics, uh, Winter Olympics approaching in beginning of February, which so you might even see, you know, governments stand up and take a stand so i think it's hugely important and and i think they've done that well and i agree with what you said on the atp we'll find out because andrea godenzi has said since the start of the year that that's his vision that one unified atp and wta pool all the rights really establish unity that's the future for the sport so if that's the future here's an ideal time in the present to make to make a to make a real strong statement toward that, so I'm I'm intrigued to see what the ATP will do if it comes to that. Let's hope it yeah. doesn't. If it comes to that, and I was also encouraged to see what Novak said about it in turn when he was asked. He was very very supportive, and he's a huge huge star in in Asia. So that that was great to see him speak up too. What did Novak say? Basically said, just as a human being, I mean that he wants to make the you know you you worry about her, you worry about her family, you worry about her friends, and that it, it, he just found it really, really sort of heart wrenching. Yeah. He, just as a human being, he really showed compassion for her in the situation, and I thought that was great. Mm-hmm. That, it, that you know, because he could have took he could have took the hey, I don't know anything about it, or I've been playing, I haven't been reading, I've been following. You know, he could have took the the cliche way out, and he didn't. Absolutely, and it's also worth noting that the PTPA Novak Djokovic is a fledgling organization. Players Association released a statement condemning the Chinese action on this issue as well. Yeah, so you hope that enough pressure will, pre- but you know, it's a different, it's a different world there. So oh, how, you make, no, how do you make China move? But you move? don't, how you do don't you really China have move? any other eye. Like you can't, you know. Steve Simon said yesterday all the all the email addresses and all the phone numbers he's had, they've tried repeatedly over and over, and they're just not getting through to her. So something obviously is really, really wrong. Yeah, I don't know how how you do it, and I think the only way to, to really make the statement they want is make is i don't think china is going to really change so they have to pull out is is the only way to really make them change um, because that's that's really the bargaining chip that the wta holds right now so that's that's how they can really impress people and and let the world oh yeah and i I believe him when he said that i believe he will i absolutely believe him and you know that's a it's a huge step to take because so much of their finances are tied up in Asia, but also coming off a, a pandemic year where they really struggled financially. So it's a very precarious time, and this is the top women's sport in the world. So it's not something, and it takes a lot of courage for them to stand up and say that, but that's the absolute right step in in my view. Yeah, speaking of courage, it takes, let's just, let's just say this, it takes a lot of courage for what Peng Shui did. She knows what yeah. it's like to live in China. She knows what that system, yeah. that regime is like, what that system is like, and for her to speak out. I mean, I think she, I don't know what caused her to make the decision at this moment in time, but what a brave move. And I think um, 
Wow. Yeah. Obviously, there's a lot happening in her head and in her mind for her to. It really is hugely courageous because she knows. She knows exactly. I mean, if you go back to what Lena endured there when she just for breaking off to have her own coach, what she went through, and that was just a a coaching thing. I mean, you can imagine. And this was one of the most powerful people in the Chinese government, and also that she was so detailed in the allegation. If you read it or the translation of it, it's very, very specific. It's very detailed. I, I mean, I don't see how you can read that and not think something bad happened to her. I don't, I, I don't understand that, although, you know, I have talked to people who are, very, or who are skeptical, which I don't, I don't understand it. But mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and then I talked to someone else who said, hey, well, why didn't she wait till she was out of the country to make, hey, even if she was out of the country and she said it, you the know the family and yeah. friends are definitely in the crosshairs. So she knew either way what was coming. And as you said, just to have the courage to stand up and speak the truth, to be a truth teller in today's world, it's dangerous. It can get you killed yeah, in the world. So... I- yeah, and I think people are wondering, what about Lena? Why can't we hear from her? You know what? We right. she cannot right. speak. That's the way it works in China. I think. I think in most countries, you'd see Lena being front of you know first and foremost a speaker on this and and having comments at least. She can't. It's just the way it works over there. There's- she can because we've seen it with other with actresses in China with business people where they they just disappear. You can't. She can't. Or she can't speak, you know. She just can't. That's a shame. It's a shame. Yeah. It's a, um, I mean, I th- we'll, we'll move on from this. We're probably going to have to revisit it. I think this one's going to play out a little bit. And first and foremost, right. we pr- we pray and hope for the safety of. Oh, uh, absolutely. Wife. We pray for her and hope hope for the best for her. And this, I think you're right on. This is a flashpoint in the history of open air tennis. This is a huge issue that you know it's it's going to really determine what happens for the sport for her her health and safety is paramount obviously it's this is a big big story yeah it really is it really is um and so what was interesting this week is that in the backdrop of the peng shui story and and the fact that the WTA finals were not in Shenzhen, China this year. They were in Guadalajara. We were watching brilliant tennis in Guadalajara. We were watching Mexico fully embrace the WTA finals and create this magical vibe. Yes, the tennis was played in mile high, and it, and it was very tricky conditions for the for the elite players on tour. It took a lot of adjusting, as we saw. But what an amazing job Guadalajara did. And it shows you there's a lot of people hungry for tennis there are untapped markets out there it really made you kind of scratch your head and think wow this is quite impressive I mean, especially from the first day session where the crowd looked a little sparse i think in the first match i watched from where it went from day one two three four five six into the to the final rounds with muguruza raising that trophy and the people just going wild i said wow thank you guadalajara right uh, Guadalajara did a phenomenal job. I must admit, I was skeptical, not because of the the, the people or, or anything like that. It was just the elevation. I thought it was going to be real sloppy, real hard for players. It but was, by the way. The atmosphere, <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. But the atmosphere that the fans created and the way Guadalajara embraced the WTA, it shows you how huge tennis can be in Latin America if you can give it a shot. I know there's a lot of you know, financial uh, issues. But so when you huge, get it, right? when you get there, it just shows how hungry the fans are and how passionate, how much they appreciate it. And you even saw, even after the matches, when they would do the interviews, almost everybody would stay just to hear, even if the players weren't speaking, just to hear it. They just wanted to be a part of it. It was 
a beautiful thing to sit to see how they embrace it. I loved also just the speeches that the players made and how they appreciated the welcome. And even at the end, it's cool to see the mariachi band at the end when Mugu won, like they do in Monterey, and it was just great. It was a great vibe. They, I, I was really, really surprised. I didn't think it would be as good as it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now you know about Mexico as a guy who hung out in Mexico and sipped tequila with Tony Nadal. It's a great place. Yeah, well, it's a they great love, I mean, they love sport, and they love tennis. I mean, boxing is huge there, obviously soccer, but they yeah. love tennis, so it's great. It's just great to see that they were able to do something like that on the fly real quickly Amazing. to turn it around and get down there. And I think, look, I mean, who knows? That that might have been key for Garbina because she spoke even before a first ball was struck about how positive it was, how great it was for her, how great it was for South America, just to see all this happen. And and I think she really rode that positive vibe and the buzz and just I'm so happy to be playing here that uh, that it was cool. Yeah. And, you know, you had a tournament without Naomi, without Ash Barty, and it could have gone the other way, but it, it went well, I thought. Isn't it funny? Yeah, it was, it was a, sort of a low-key WTA Finals field with, I think, three of the Grand Slam champions, Barty, um, Osaka, and Raducanu, all not in, this, right. in the mix. So it was a little bit strange. But, and we had six debutantes. Um, I'm getting ahead of myself because I want to go back to six of the eight. Six of the eight had never appeared in it before, so a lot of players that are inexperienced add to that the conditions, which were so tricky. Everybody adjusting their tension on the fly, people really having trouble measuring the length of the court. You saw so many balls flying long in these matches, especially in the first set. Pam Shriver on uh, Tennis Channel kept saying, "God, we're getting a lot of ugly first sets in this tournament." And then yeah. eventually the yeah, tennis would clean up. It was very intense. But as you mentioned, Muguruza was the story of this tournament. And yes, she said she talked to Steve Simon at the U.S. Open and he hinted to her that the tournament may be going to Latin America, Mexico, in fact, um, this year. And she said, oh, my God, I got to make it. That's what she said in her post-match speech. She was she was just vibing with with the whole scene from the beginning of the tournament, as you said before it even started. And she started with a loss. It was a it was a maybe lucky for her. It was a two and a half hour loss that took three sets, and she got to get more comfortable with the situation there. And then from then on in, she never lost another match, and she fought her way through, dealt with the conditions, dealt with a lot of difficult matches, and and now she finishes at number three in the world, her biggest title since 2017. And Richard, when I look at the WTA moving forward, you look at Muguruza as a two-time Grand Slam champion, you look at a relatively wide open field with no Serena dominating anymore, and frankly, no real dominant force. Could be Ash Barty, maybe, we don't know, but there's an opportunity for Muguruza, who's just 28, to sort of return to the fore of the WTA and maybe, maybe snag a couple more Grand Slam titles, maybe make a push for number one. We don't know, but this was a great moment regardless, right? Yeah, and also, you know, it was funny to me when I saw at the end after she raised the title trophy that, you know, you see the graphic, she's the oldest WTA Finals champion since Serena yeah. in 2014, and she's only 28. Like, she's got her prime time should be coming up right now. And just think about Australia, how close she was there, and also the fact that she does it on every 
surface. Obviously, you know, hardcore, it's been great, but she's won Wimbledon. She's won Roland Garros. She can play on anything. And for me, a big takeaway from this tournament was just how happy that she looked because you remember sometimes during the Samsumic years, it was oh, yeah. just seemed cranky, unhappy, and not clear. And just it, she just looked so happy. She smiled. She was positive. She was pumping the fist. And I've seldom seen Conchita Martinez. I cover her as a player. I've seldom seen her that exuberant and that excited and that ecstatic. You could tell how much it meant to both of them, and that's why it was really sort of fulfilling to see. And the other big thing was she had to beat the hottest player in that Contivate twice in a few days. I mean, it's really hard at their level, you know, unless you just match up well with somebody where you own a rivalry. But to do that back-to-back against a red-hot player and also that the forehand went a little bit in that final, she was able to get it back, and she just kept firing. I think another big key was she didn't give up ground on that baseline. She faced some massive hitters, and she would not give up the ground. She just stayed right near the baseline. I'm going to take the ball. I'm going to hit it. You know, I'm really going to go after my shot. She just had the, such a positive and, and assertive attitude. It was great to see for her because she's had ups and downs, but, you know, still she comes through in big moments. I mean, you look at what she's – Nine or ten titles, and I think ten titles, but a lot of those are huge titles. You know, obviously the two majors in this one, that she comes through in big moments. Yeah, she kind of reminds me of that diesel engine sometimes. When she gets going at a tournament, she can just gets tougher and tougher to take out. And as you mentioned, tennis-wise, it was a really great performance from her in the final where Contavite Contavate played well and pushed her and then took a 5-3 lead and in the second. Yeah, she and made that push where you th- I really thought Contavate could take that second set. She really pushed her at the end and Muguruza just put her foot. She was not having it. Very opportunistic, down 5-3 in the second set, took 16 of the final 20 points and, you know, measured up on her break points, ended up, you know, breaking for the match and, and the title and um, was just, it was just destiny for Garbina. Uh, very interesting. And she did it with a variety. She hit the beautiful lob at the end, but also oh, to end see her come set. in and- Take the dry volley, the swing volley out of the air. When she does that, when you see her doing that in matches, you know she's confident because she can volley. She's, in fact, she made the WTA finals in doubles one year with Carlos. She definitely she can did. do it, but she doesn't always do it. But when you see her take that swing volley, for me, that's a big sign that she's feeling it, and, and she did that really well in this tournament. And like you said, to come back out right out of the gate from a really tough physical loss in altitude where you see some of the play i mean they're all in great shape and you could see some of them sucking wind at times I, i'd be doing the same thing so you got to give her a lot of credit she overcame it all yep she, she played well and um it was a real decisive win for her over bedosa in the semifinals which helped her i think have a little bit of energy for that final um you hit on Samsumic years for Muguruza and and that and Conchita, of course, which they've been such a good pairing since they've measured up. And maybe this is this is great to have them see them have this big important title for them, and it maybe is, um, um, you know, a signal that things could even better things could even happen. But I thought it was interesting watching this tournament. We talk about mental health a lot this year, which the issues that Naomi Osaka brought to the fore. And we saw a lot of interesting stuff happen like off the court. We saw the Krachikova make that amazing speech after winning the doubles title for freedom and about the Velvet Revolution in the Czech Republic. And then we saw Iga Sviantek talk, be open and talk about PMS, how it affected her in her first match. We, we see a lot of these players being open and then also Muguruza who I want to hit on she talked a lot about maybe this being her best year her her feeling more happy more stable on the court than she ever has in her career 
You're seeing a lot of people embrace themselves as people and embrace their lives a little bit more and being open and being free and being comfortable with who they are. I think it's an important trend that we're seeing in the WTA where like the mental health and player performance are kind of moving in lockstep and making, you know, helping athletes achieve their goals. So I, I just found that to be a theme. I don't know if you noticed. I agree with, with that. And also, I think it's just so cool if you play tennis at any level, you're watching at home, you know how everybody gets tight on big moments when they're open about that, that, hey, you get tight. It's critical. You're in a huge year-end championship. You want to do your best. And for me, one of the takeaways I'll always have from this tournament is at the end of the Sakari, uh, Sakari uh, Swiatek, when she just put her arm around her like, hey, I've been there, man. I know what it's like. I know what you're feeling. I thought that was such a beautiful... Yes compassionate gesture where she really you could tell she's been there she knows what that feels like she could have been in the rolling arrows final this year and oh. i just thought that was a really really uh, uh, uh such a humane thing to do and it and it really moved me to see that and like you said for all the players to be so upfront and honest, i think it was cultivator it might have been paula bedosa that said the practice sessions taught her you have to be kind to yourself. And, and I thought that was such a nice way to say it. You know, you know you're going to spray the ball. You know the ball's going to fly. You're in elevation. You're going to miss shots that you would never miss under any circumstances. Be kind to yourself. You yeah. know, just, it's, no, it's not you. It's not always you. Sometimes it's a condition. That's okay. You just do the best you can. And yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I really, I, I really I feel you on that. I, I, I'm with you. Oh, yeah, I think a lot of players go through that process learning to be kind to themselves. You Like you mentioned, Bedosa, um, it, it's interesting that they're all kind of sort of figuring out this big puzzle that it takes more to be an elite player than just, just being perfect on the tennis court. You have to... You have to um, Accept some things. Some things are going to be difficult out there. And I think there were a lot of lessons in that in that regard learned this year, which I think is cool. But you hit on Sakari and heartbreak. Wow. Three, she drops the 3-14 and 14 in semifinals lifetime, which is – I think you can paint this in two different ways. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bad sign. She you know, lost the match point at Roland Garros. She lost the semifinal in the U.S. Open. And here she was really pumped up and just full of desire. Um, in these semifinals at Guadalajara, but again, didn't make it through. She felt like she threw it away. But but I think for me, when I look at her and the progress she's made, I mean, she's risen from outside of the top 20 to a career best finish at number six in the world. I think she's come such a long way. And I think once she clears that hurdle of being able to win big matches, this is a potential Grand Slam winner as well. Yeah, I agree with you, and also just the, the historic element to be the first Greek woman there and really represent as she did all year. That that's a big, big thing, and and you'd like to almost see a, a Sakari Sabalenka major final just for one of them to get over the hump because they both have the, in my view, they both have the, the games, they both have the talent, the ability. It's just you got it, you got to do it in those type man. Now in her case. You know, that's how the link of man, I think that took a lot out of her going, but she was flat in, in the Paul Bedosa match. But, you know, she, you can understand why she could be physically flat. But, uh, yeah, I do think she has the, the ability. And just physically, her speed, her scrambling ability, her ability to extend points, it's just finding the, I, I feel like even though they're different players, her and Sabalinka, it's finding the balance between knowing when to green light it and when to hit the rally ball. I think that's just... It's just a big thing for both of them to, to sort of master that that part of it. Yeah, good point. You because uh, you know, Sabalenka wants to play offense all the time on every single point, no matter what the score. You got to play the. You got to have more awareness about the score, and that you don't always have to hit a crush a ninety mile an hour winner. You don't need to do that. You can play down the middle more. She doesn't. 
just to me, it's more of the way she plays the points than her actual game is what it, the stumbling block. Obviously, a lot of it's mental, too, but I think both of them have the ability to do it eventually. Yeah, and both of them have, have shown that they've, they've stumbled a little bit in the big matches, but they both made huge prog- progress this year. And speaking of progress, I'll run some numbers by you. Sakari, year-end ranking last year, 22. This year, 6. Barossa, 70 last year. This year, 8. Krachikova, 65 last year. This year, five. Yeah. Sviantek goes from 17 to nine. Sabalenka goes from 10 to two. Muguruza goes from 15 to three. Contivate finally, 23 to seven. We were looking at eight elite players, all of them with these interesting storylines. We came such a long way over the course of this year. Uncharted waters for Badosa and, and uh, Krachikova. And that's part of what made these WTA finals so alluring. It really did, and you could make a case for any of those names you mentioned being in a final, a major final in 2022 or actually winning a major. And if you would have said that about Paul Bedos at the start of the year, people would have looked at you like you were nuts. People forget Barbara Krejcikova. She wasn't even making main draws in singles. She was no more as a doubles player before this year to do what she did and to go to Roland Garros and sweep both titles. You know, nobody had done that since Mary Pierce on the women's side. It's just just huge leap quantum leaps for a lot of those ladies and the the, the exciting thing is they all look like they have higher ceilings like paul bedosa said after that last loss look i i can play better defense i can learn to use a net more i can work on my like she really identified three or four areas where this is where i can really get better so it's exciting to see that they know that they all know they can go higher and i and i think they're all right contivate could she's definitely a challenger there's no doubt about it yeah it's um that's that's to me what made it so fun and I think Krachikova she's my low low key MVP of this tournament going 0 and 3 in singles but throw this in she played Fed Cup which nobody else wanted to do the week before right. the WTA finals and and gosh she's a patriot right I mean that was impressive and also she takes a double title not only did she do that she brings Sinyakova to number one year and finish which was which was momentous for her partner and then she does the speech about the Velvet Revolution which leaves Martina in tears Krachikova I love this woman Love her, love her, and also you know that last doubles match because uh, Sue Shea could have been the number. That was a, that was a lot of pressure on all of them, and she played so well down the stretch. And just the way she she represents herself and her country, the way she's so candid and honest about herself and what it means to her, and also that she's part of this uh, you know immense tennis tree. Check players where not only the Jan and the late great Jan and Novotna connection, but Martina Navratilova, the Czechs, how they talk about Hing is being a big influence. I mean, that they all really learn and respect each other. I think that's one of the reasons why the Czechs are such a powerhouse. I mean, obviously they got great, great players and coaches, but just that that tradition, that they embrace that and that they're part of something bigger. It's not just my career. I came after Jana. She came after Martino. They see the evolution and they take great pride in that. It's a beautiful thing to see. Yeah, you could feel it in the in the press conference after the final with Krachikova. She took a lot of questions about her speech. Um, and also about Martina and Martina's reaction to the speech. And she, it sounded like they really hadn't met much before. Like this was her first real moment with Martina. And she, she, would, she, said, she started to say like something to the effect of, I really want to be closer with her. But then she said, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. But you could tell that's what she yeah. was trying to say. And it was really a cute moment. And you can tell that Barbora is one of those people who looks, uh, looks to, the, um, to, the, 
to the past players for leadership. Obviously, her relationship with Yana was huge and, and still is huge. I mean, Yana's with her. It feels like from day one and will be with her forever. And I think Barbora looking to the to the past legends of the game is, really shows how much respect she has for the, for the legacy of these tennis players and just how smart she is knowing that she needs to, to have them to be a part of her career. I, I just think it's cool. You know, not all players are like that. Absolutely, and she's such, she has such a humility about her for someone who's achieved so much, especially this year. She's just such a humble champion. It's, it's really nice to see that. Yeah, she's always willing to, to tell you, I actually cannot believe what's happening. <laughs> I mean, from yeah. ever since Roland Garros, she's been saying that. I, I don't know what's happening or why or how, but I love it. And she, But she keeps trudging on and playing doubles, and I love to see that as well. She's a real just genuinely pure tennis player who just seems to love the game. Um, and, and I'm looking forward to her sticking with the doubles because I think that's a cool element of hers. But, but yeah, man, it was, it was amazing. I don't think we expected it. And we got really just a fantastic tournament, a really cool WTA finals and very memorable one. I mean, there were some players missing, obviously the conditions were tricky, but it was, it was awesome. And I was really at the, at the very end of the tournament, watching the speeches from the, the tournament organizers in Guadalajara. I thought they did a great job and you could tell that they genuinely appreciated having that opportunity. And I don't know if there's a way we can get more tennis in Guadalajara because of the altitude, but Mexico in general, Acapulco, I've always loved the events there. I've always loved to, Monterey's always been a good event. I just uh, think we should, you're right, what you said at the beginning, and I'll finish kind of with this point, we should tap into this market more. South America should have should have more tennis, more big-time tennis. It's the first really big women's tournament that they've ever had there, and look how well it went. They really rose to the occasion on every single level, and also I think afterwards, just reading or being, I think she's fourteen and two lifetime in Mexico, so she agrees with you one hundred percent. Let's play the let's play every big tournament in Mexico, you know. But yeah, it was great, and and they and they all on every level, just every level to see everybody come through and uh, and make it such a memorable event where it could have gone the other way, and and they made it a great event. I think the other big takeaway for me is that we have such great storylines to look forward to in 2022 when you see this sort of generational clash where you still have older veteran players, but we saw Raducanu, we saw Leila Fernandez at the Open, and then you see people like Contevay just red hot, and you see Mugu coming back. It's just so many great, exciting players, and we know Ash Barty's been trained. She said publicly winning the AO is her her number one priority for next year. So you're going to have so many players coming out of the gate with confidence and fired up for 2022 when Australia will have full capacity fans from what they announced. So yeah, there's a really a lot to look forward to. Yeah. I mean, we never, never really had a, had a lack of storylines WTA wise, but yeah, it's, um, it's, it's going to be a very interesting year. It's uh still scrambling for someone to become the authoritative power in the sport. Naomi Osaka, we thought maybe she would be that player, but uh, you know, a lot of things happened over the last year with her. So there's an opening and it's fun when there's an opening. And uh, I think we can leave it at that, Richard, unless you have anything else to add about these uh, wonderful WTA finals. Otherwise we can, we can um, make plans to talk again about the WTA a little bit, l- l- maybe later after Thanksgiving, and kind of look at uh, our award winners for the year, which is always a fun show we have. Yeah, that's a good that's a good thought, good idea. Uh, I think you said it well, and you know, look forward to this weekend with the ATP finals, and we'll have more to talk about next time. Yeah, it's, uh, semifinals are set in Turin. It's been a fun one. It's going to be um, Djokovic and Zverev. 
And then Kasparud slips through, and he will face Daniel Medvedev tomorrow. So you guys tune in. Keep it, keep it locked on TennisNow.com, and keep, check us out on social. And we will be back to talk about that next week once we have that trophy raised. And, and, and then we'll be all, pretty much all done with the tennis season except for Davis Cup and a few straggler or challenger events, which I'm sure tennis never stops. But it'll be pretty much quiet after Sunday, which will be interesting. But let's talk next week about the ATP, Richard. And thank you so much for joining me. Have yourself a good weekend. You too, Chris. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. Thanks. This edition of the Lucky Light Court podcast is a wrap. Special thanks to Richard Pagliaro for joining us, and special thanks to you guys for listening. I want to let you guys know you can keep tuned in and follow us on social media, on Twitter at Tennis underscore now, on Facebook, facebook.com slash Tennis Now, on Instagram. You can find us there, and also... Very importantly, we'd love it if you rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. Just open your Apple Podcasts app, type in Lucky Letcord Podcast, and voila. You can also find us wherever you like to listen to your podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're out there, and we love it if you listen, and we appreciate it so much. Uh, we'll be back in a few days to talk about the ATP Finals. The semis are already set, as we mentioned. It should be a good weekend of tennis. Hang in there. Not a long way to go. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.